Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, a San Antonio Spurs podcast brought to you by Kins 5, the official station of the San Antonio Spurs. I'm Jackson Floyd, and joining me this week, we've got Kins 5 Sports Director Joe Reinagel. How you doing today, Joe? I'm doing great. How are you guys? I'm doing great, too. I'm in off-season mode, and so are the Spurs. And joining us uh, from his fishing expedition, I believe, is that Tom Petrini? <laughs> yeah, I had to step off the boat in the backyard for just a few minutes, uh, but I heard you guys wanted to talk to me. So what's up? Go. What's going on? Well, I mean, we haven't talked since the Spurs lost to the Grizzlies in the play-in game. Um, it's been about a week since then. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. And the narrative since then has been kind of written. You know, the Spurs fought. The, Sp- there was the, the team who put a fight in, uh, overcoming a double-digit deficit there, uh, led by, uh, you know, DeMar and DeJounte, who have been the, the engine for this team, did not have a good night um, going uh, in that game. You know, both, just atrocious shooting for both of them. But just kind of led by this team, uh, led, you know, the heart of this team, the fight of this team. Joe, what was the biggest takeaway you took from the loss to the Grizzlies? Well, I think just that. I mean, this team never gives up. And I just I love the fight in this team. You know, we talked about it before the game, though, that they that, you know, they couldn't fall into a hole. And even though they climbed out of it, and they had an opportunity at the end. I think, you know, that takes a lot out of you, you guys know that any team that has to rally back and come back from that takes a lot out of you. And, you know, maybe that made a difference down the stretch. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. But it was um, it was a it was a great effort by the team despite uh, a not-so-great night for DeMar DeRozan. So it shows that the Spurs had a lot of other guys step up and and get the job done. So, um, you know, a loss, moral victory maybe, but uh, I I just love the fight in this team. Yeah, I mean, the the rough night for DeMar, um, it wasn't just him shooting poorly, right? Dylan Brooks is legit. That guy is a genuine two-way I don't want to say star yet, but he's solid as can be uh, for that Memphis Grizzlies team. Made an impact on both ends in this game, but, um, you know, DeMar's bag is deep and vast, but it's not necessarily full of mysteries, right? Like, you know what he wants to do and the spots that he wants to get to. And something that DeMar said was he got to his spots uh, and he felt like he got a lot of good shots up. But what I noticed watching the game again was uh, that, you know, most of the time he was being met right at his spot by Dylan Brooks, who played perfect playoff defense. Um, and uh, so so that was that was tough. And this team really struggled to contain Jonas Valanciunas uh, in the early going. Um, you know, he, he had a 20-20 game. Um, I saw a lot of people putting that on Jakob Pertl specifically. I didn't see that, really. Um that seemed to be like the most even fight that Valanciunas had all night. Yeah. Um, but the the bottom line for me was they got in that big hole um, and they were able to show that fight and climb all the way back and actually take the lead in this game, but they wound up just not having enough. Um, and in, in many ways, I think this game was sort of a microcosm of the season in which, you know, they, they, uh, could have shot better. They got into an early hole and, you know, they, we know this team had ups and downs, right? And in the good games, they, they started off great. They jumped on teams in the bad games. They got jumped on. Um, and this was one of those bad games. And of course the Grizzlies went on to beat the Warriors in the uh, last of the play in games for that eighth seed. I mean, is there any redemption there for the Spurs to see that the team who beat them goes on to beat the, uh, the, the Warriors and Steph Curry and then, you know, and the jazz. To, yeah. Not to jump too far ahead into our playoff discussions, but yeah, beat the jazz too. Joe, is there any sort of redemption to take away there? Absolutely. I think you have to look at that because I think this Memphis team is, is another one of those teams that's that's up and coming. I mean, they've got some good stars, young talent on that team. And so I think for the Spurs to be able to rally back the way they did. And what I loved about that Memphis game, the play-in game, it was old school basketball. It really was. You, have, you know, you don't have three-pointers flying all over the place. You've got physical play down low. You've got defense on both ends. And, you know, it was just physical hard-nosed, old-school basketball, and I love that about that. And I think that's what Memphis has, and they've got the players to be able to play that, as do the Spurs. So uh, in, in that respect, I think either way that happened, whether it's, you know, obviously Memphis comes out of that or the Spurs coming out of that, I think 
either one of those teams gives Golden State, you know, a, a hard time. And as we saw, Memphis did just that. And then they went on uh, with, with Utah as well. So um, I, I like that style of play still. I know the NBA is evolving and we're getting into the, you know, where you put up 33 pointers every game. But, man, I enjoyed watching that Memphis-San Antonio game. I did too. And I think uh, it speaks to the viability of the, just the playing tournament in general, right? That, you know, not only did, you know, th- on the business side of things, you know, ESPN broadcast three of the six play-in games. Those three games were three of ESPN's most watched basketball games of the season. That Warriors-Lakers game being the most watched ESPN regular, oh, ESPN basketball game in what, three years? Since uh, the conference final, the champion, the Western Conference Finals uh, with the Warriors in that as well, you know, it's, it's it's amazing to see just what that can generate, you know, and that. But also, it gave the the Grizzlies a chance to build momentum, right? You know, to beat the Spurs and to believe in yourself a little bit more, and then to beat the Warriors and believe yourself and believe in yourself a little more, and then you go against the number one seed Jazz, and you've got two games of gelling under your belt. Uh, I, I can see a lot of teams on the cusp, you know, being more in favor of the play-in tournament than, you know, a number one seed or number two seed. But again, they're also getting extra days off rest here. I know Adam Silver has spoken to wanting to continue the play-in tournament, and that's a conversation that's going to happen this offseason. Just remains to be seen, you know, uh, w- what's the next step here for the tournament. Uh, but then again, you know, the Spurs start the offseason, you know, with the loss of the Grizzlies. And so we're going to go into offseason mode here, too. Uh, Tom Petrini has a uh, fun little game for us here. We're calling uh, The Stats Are Right. Tom, introduce us. Welcome today. to today's episode of The Stats Are Right. I'm your host, Tom Petrini. Today we have some stats, and I'm going to ask Jackson and Joe if they're right or not. Uh, here's how the game is going to work. I'm going to throw out a statistical category. Uh, for example, this one... Uh, should be fairly easy for, for the both of you to guess. Uh, we're going to go with a volume of three-point attempts. Where do you think the Spurs ranked in the NBA as far as volume of three-point attempts this season? Jackson, we'll start with you. Uh, if not dead blast, I'm going to say second to last. They had to be bottom two in the league. Joe? Now let's go 28. The correct answer was dead last. I'll give it to Jackson. We're not doing points. <laughs> points don't matter. But Jackson, dead on. Uh, take the victory there. <laughs> now, some interesting statistical facts here. Spurs were uh, 21 and 13 when they shot better than what they shot from average from three. What do you think they shot on average from three this year? What was their percentage? I'm going to say 32%. Jackson? I think they're I think they're a little better than that um, because I know Rudy Gay was was higher up there in the percentage. Thirty four, thirty four percent, thirty five percent below league average. Not not great. No. Uh, wow, but a, a little better a little better than that. It's it's still uh, Are you one of those things I need room? to improve. I, I don't know. Are you all in the same room here? I am in a different city than the both of you. There you go. No, no collusion, Joe. Don't worry. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, now, where do you think the Spurs ranked in terms of turnovers per game? Oh, wow. First. Jackson. First. Joe? Nah, not first. Turnovers per game? I, I'm going to say middle of the pack, uh, 15. When I say first, there was I a mean point- they, they, they led – they were the fewest turnovers, right? That's what we're talking about? Right. Yes. Cool. That, that's how I interpreted okay. what you said. Uh, they were first in the league in that category for uh, a large portion of the year, but the Portland Trailblazers actually overtook mm. them. So Spurs finished second in terms of uh, taking wow. care of the ball. I, I blame the last um, two weeks without Derek White. You guys yes, are good. That certainly hurt. Certainly hurt. Joe, you've got um, it from out, though. Yeah, yeah. What, a, what about some uh, – so, uh, the, these three are related, uh, and the answer is the same for all of them. Uh-oh. Uh, percent of field goal attempts from two-point range, percent of points from two-point range, and percent of points from mid-range. Where do you think they rank in those categories? They got to be right near the top in all of those categories, right? I mean, that's that's their game. Um, yeah, that was what, second or third, maybe. I'm going to put them at the top in the league. Leading the league, Jackson. 
leading yeah. this league in terms I of just eked Joe out there, you know, went for well. It's 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 the it's it's still the first quarter. I'm in a big hole, but I can rally. You got it. We we'll see we'll see. Uh, but yeah, fourteen percent of their points came from mid range this year. Over fourteen percent, uh, and. Almost 70% of their attempts came from two-point range. The dream uh, of the 90s so, are alive in San Antonio. Oh, God. <laughs> Missed that show. Uh, Portlandia is like 10 years old now, I think, uh, if That's you want to feel insane. real old. Oh, my God. Um, I digress. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, seven, almost 70% of their field goal attempts from two-point range. Uh, any guesses which team attempted the highest percentage of their points from three-point range and what that percentage might be. From three-point range. Yeah. The Jazz? So if the, if the Spurs... Oh, wow, Jackson. I, I did not think anyone was going to get the Jazz, but it is the Jazz. There and the go. Jazz shoot almost 50% of their attempts from three. Oh, okay. I, got, I was off on the percentage. I'm I'm Isn't calling that, for an investigation. <laughs> I want you guys to know. I, yeah. See, I, that's I, that's I crazy, a, though. I have an eight Half of their child. shots. I, I do nothing but read NBA stats while rocking him to sleep. That's, that's my excuse. Joe, it's all right. This just means that Jackson is a dork and you're cool. Um, but we'll, we'll keep it moving. Um, where would you say they rank in terms of drives per game? Spurs? Yeah. 18th. Drives per game. Um, I don't think they're leading the league in that. I'm going to say fifth. Second in the league, actually. Wow. Almost over 55 drives per game. Uh, this is a wow. team that loves collapsing the paint, getting into that area of the floor. Um, but I think when you combine that drive-heavy nature with uh, the reluctance to shoot, it clogs up the lane a little bit. Yeah. Um, it it makes it tougher for those drives to have good results. Um, although the Spurs did uh, lead the league in points per game on drives, uh, and they were top three in the league in assists per game on drives. Okay. Um, so. I mean, it's it's their bread and butter. Um, you can only imagine how much better it would be if they had more willing three-point shooters around those drivers. Um, and uh, this is this is one on the defensive end of the floor. What about points allowed in the paint per game? I'm going to say that's high because it seemed like they, uh, well, especially late in the season, we're giving up a lot of points in the paint. So I got to pick a number, don't I? Um, I? It can't be first or last, so 20th. I'm going to go on the other side of the spectrum and say 10th. All right. They're fifth uh, in terms of giving up the most. So they gave up the fifth most. Uh, and it was okay. – it was, it was 50 points per game in the paint, um, which obviously not great, something this team wants to work on. Uh, and then three-point range. Uh, how do you think they fared defensively on uh, three-point percentage? I'm going to say 10th in the league again. Wow. Yeah, I would say they get – I'm going to say inside 10 because I think, yeah, closer to between 5 and 10. How about that? So they were eighth worst in terms of uh, three-point percentage, but they held opponents to the ninth lowest in terms of number of three-pointers per game. So the ones they gave up, a lot of them were way too open. Uh, they, they gave up too many of them. Um, but when like they schematically, they did a good job of running guys off the line for the most part. Yeah. Um, now, uh, something that was a talking point coming into the season, pace, right? People were talking about the bubble. They're, they're playing faster, right? Where do you think the Spurs ranked in pace this year? Joe, we'll start with you. Wow, in pace? Um, I think they were pretty good at pace. Um, you know, faster I'm going to go, go, yeah, I, faster pace. I would say faster pace. 
top ten? Can I can Jackson. I be that vague? I, I'm sure. not cool with you being that vague. I'm gonna I'm gonna get more specific. Then I'm gonna say the pace was one hundred four point nine. And and where would you say that ranks in the Sixth. league? I wish it was that fast, and I wish they were that fast. <laughs> but unfortunately, the Spurs were pretty average in yeah. terms of pace this year. Uh, they were uh, under a hundred possessions per game, which was right in the middle of the pack. Uh, so that was that was something that I think we were all watching coming into the season, and uh, you know when it. I mean, I don't think that Lamarcus Aldridge hurt things too much, but I also don't think that it was a, a huge point of emphasis for this team to get out and run. And certainly, the defensive end is where that starts. Um, so, all right, last one: finishing defensive uh, possessions. Where do you think the Spurs ranked? Uh, what, what percentage of available rebounds would you say the Spurs got this year? So 50% average. I'm going to say lower than that. I'll go, I'll go 35%. 42%. Uh, so the, the swings on this one are pretty low in terms of percentage, mm. but uh, like 48.5% is close to 50, but it was one of the worst in the league uh, this year. Wow. Uh, so uh, one of those things where uh, definitely a, a point of emphasis for this team moving forward and outside of Jakob Pertl, uh and really DeJounte Murray coming and cleaning up the glass, um, that was an area where, where they struggled and there were some, some games where they really needed to gain rebound. Um, so, all right, I'm, I'm going to declare Jackson the winner here. Uh, Joe, if you'd like to protest, split. I started off good, but Joe, Joe made a comeback. Came out to the comeback at the end. I don't know. Well, you, you're, I, I think you're being kind, Jackson. I appreciate that. <laughs> you guys, you guys had a good feel for where this team is at, though, for the most part. Um, and I, if you, if you want to talk now a little bit about what you guys felt went well for them this year, I mean, we we can start with that driving. I mean, they they have a bunch of guys who love getting in the paint, um, and. Uh, Joe, I'm, I'm wondering what you saw from both the, uh, the growth of, of DeMar DeRozan here uh, and the, the growth of DeJounte Murray, right? Because like, those, those two guys were the, the main drivers of the offense. No, I mean, I'll start with DeMar DeRozan. I mean, uh, and, you know, it's hard to say the guy's a, you know, a big star and has been for, for you know, several years, but I do think he grew here in San Antonio, and I think he grew – by exploring more of his game. You know, in Toronto, he was a scorer. And that's pretty much all he was asked to do was score the basketball. Here, he was asked to do a lot of other things. First of all, he was asked to play defense. Sometimes he did that. Sometimes he didn't. But I think the biggest growth for DeMar DeRozan was his assists. I mean, that guy would would distribute the basketball. And I was really, really happy to see that. Um and that's why, you know, you and, and I know we'll get into this later, but you make a big case for this guy coming back. Um, but the, but that part of his game, I think, really, really came up uh, a few notches, in fact. And as for DeJounte Murray, um, I think we really saw him take the biggest step of his career with the Spurs this year on both ends of the floor. Yeah. I mean, the guy uh, was always good defensively, but I think he took a step up defensively. And he also took up a step, uh, in, in my mind, leadership, um, just directing the team where to be and, and how to be and, and doing his thing on the floor. And I think uh, – and scoring-wise as well. I mean, his jump shot uh, it really improved too. So I think both of those guys did a lot of improving this year. Yeah, I, I think both of them are very smart drivers, you know, and I, looking back at De, uh, DeMar's career with Toronto, he was driving with the idea of scoring first. And I think what he and DeJounte both do well is driving with the idea of finding the best shot. And whether that's them finishing at the rim or dishing it out to someone else, um, that's what they're looking for. And a lot of the times the best shot is with them. You know, it's DeJounte stepping back and hitting that mid-range or finishing with a floater teardrop that I think he kind of lifted from Tony Parker maybe. Maybe there's been some behind-the-scenes sessions between the two of them because he is so smooth on those floater finishes. I was texting a Grizzlies fan this week about whether or not John Deja- uh, ja Morant was the most automatic player on those floaters because he has just killed the teams 
uh, in this postseason run was just hitting those teardrop Jays. And he texted back and said, no, it's DeJounte Murray. So a, a little mutual admiration there, I think, from both sides. But they're driving smartly. And if you surround that this next season, we'll talk more about what to do next season. Surround that with people who can hit a three-point shot at a 35 to 40% clip. You know, that's dangerous. So that's something to build on there for them. I'm curious, Joe, you mentioned DeJounte as your most improved player. Um, Tom, would you agree with that? Who who would you give the most improved player on the Spurs team to? I think, I mean, DeJounte's growth was really striking in terms of doing the thing that was the the biggest question about him was, you know, can, can he be that smart driving facilitating point guard? Uh, and he was that, and he developed that, that mid range jumper to be really, really smooth, um, you know, in isolations in pick and rolls. Um, I, he, he grew to be the most important two way player for this team this year. Part of that was mm-hmm. with Derek white out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we, we saw the jump that we'd been wanting to see from DeJounte Murray. Uh, and I think, I think he, I think his leap was the most important. Um, I was also really, really impressed by what uh, Jakob Pertl did ascending to that starting center role. Uh, and then once he did that, um, you know, cause his game, his game really didn't change too much this year. He just got mm-hmm. better at it. Um, and and the one like really glaring weakness at the free throw line for a seven seven foot one guy, like you're not you're not expecting those guys to step out and hit threes for the most part. But it really helps if they can hit free throws, and it really hurt them when he couldn't. And then Pop said something after he had to pull him from a game, and he just got better. It was one of the wildest things I've seen in, in that regard. Um, so uh, I, I think that Yak's growth there um, is was also something that uh, I, I really, really loved. And and DeMar, right? Like, DeMar got better yeah. this year as a passer. Um, he did. So it's, it's, not just, it's not just young guys uh, who, who got better. Um, and, and the last guy that I've got to mention is, is Lonnie here, um, who, I mean, his, his role just got bigger. Yeah. Um, and and he, he showed more in that role changed a bit throughout the year he was starting and then he was coming off the bench and then he was starting again and the group around him changed and his role kind of changed um but i mean we've we've seen him be serviceable as a three and d floor spacer type uh and we've seen him show really promising flashes as a shot creator when he's given a license to do that so um I, i think all of those guys uh really made significant strides this season. Yeah, and credit. Yeah, I just want to follow up on Lonnie Walker because I think we're going to be sitting here a year from now talking about Lonnie Walker as the most improved player on the Spurs team. I just think this guy showed the, the, the growth that he did this year, and I think the sky's the limit. And, and I love Lonnie Walker's attitude because he wants to get better. He wants to win. And I think, man, sometimes that's 90% of the battle. Uh, and I just love his attitude. I love his want to. And, uh, man, he, he took that playoff loss, well, the play-in loss, very tough. And and that's going to weigh on him. And I think it's going to drive him this offseason to get better. And I honestly, that's my prediction right now for a year from now. Lonnie Walker is going to be the guy we're talking about. I mean, he's already posted on social media about the disappointment looking back at the season and what he knows to build on now and, and to put that effort in. I hope he takes a couple days off because I think all these Spurs guys earned a little bit of a, a vacation here, but uh, he's ready to get back to work and, and be better. So, Joe, I think you're right there. Uh, Tom, I, I appreciate you giving Jakob the, the shout out there. He's kind of my toss up between him and DeJounte. I couldn't really pick, but credit to Jakob Pertl for not just improving, but improving during the season, right? Right, he he took mm-hmm. the mantle of starting of uh, the starting center and, and got better. He saw his free throw percentage just being historically atrocious and was called out on that and took it up to get better there. So so shout outs to Jakob Pertl for doing that. Joe, what was the biggest surprise to you taking away from this Spurs season? Wow, um, you know I think the the lack of defense mm. sometimes 
was a surprise to me uh, when you're giving up 140 points to, to some teams. And, and the other surprise, I'll, I'll turn it around, the Spurs scoring uh, 140 points at times and making shots. But um, I, the defense has got to get better, and I think it will. Um, but that's going to include some pieces, I think, maybe that come in and maybe that go out. But I think that's got to improve a little bit. And, it, and, and I say that in a different time in the NBA as well. There's going to be a lot more points scored, no matter how good your defense is, because that's the game these days. You know, the three-point shot is so important. But uh, I'd like to see this team develop a little more defensively. And I think a big part of that, and we can look at Derek White, I think Derek White makes a big difference in a lot of the games that the Spurs lost this season. Had he been in there, uh, and, and I'll include that Memphis play-in game. Had Derek White been there, I, odds are Spurs might have played another game. So um, obviously we'll never know that, but but he's a huge difference maker, I think, especially when it comes defensively. And add a piece or two around him that can uh, be a little bit better there. And, and But I think that's what they need. And that was a bit of a surprise for me. Yeah, I, I think for me, um, it was watching the like I came into this season thinking that LaMarcus Aldridge was going to have a great year uh, and he wound he, he wound up not having a great year, but not for the reason that everybody thought he wouldn't. It was a question about his role, right? Like, would would he be able to come in and, you know not be the post-up guy anymore, space the floor, set screens, be like the complimentary center and, and not, not be the center of the offense. Um, and he did that job pretty great. Like I was, I was watching the, the highlight from the Lakers game that they won earlier this year. Uh, he was awesome offensively in that game. He was getting cooked on the other end. Uh, but, <laughs> but awesome offensively. And I, I think that is sort of the, the big one that like, like I did not expect his legs to go that quickly. Once they did, it, it sort of made sense that things happened the way they did. But, um, you know, I, I was not anticipating the end to, to come for him so quick. Yeah. I think that's an excellent point. Um, if, if not yep. Aldridge, uh, I think my biggest surprise was only getting Derek White for a few dozen games and mm-hmm. what he meant to the team in the, bu- in the bubble and what the team had in store for him as kind of one of the main dudes on this team, right? You know, if it's not DeMar DeJounte, Derek White seemed like the engine because, you know, he's so excellent in pick, pick and roll. He gels so well with Yaka Pertle on that side. And of course, he's one of the best two-way guards in this league sitting next to his teammate, the other of the, one of the best two point two way point guards in the league, so just having that combination together was going to mean so much to this team, I think. And, and just you know, he he had a little bit of derailment, just getting the season started from surgery, and then a freak accident in his game back, and then of course COVID kind of sidelined a handful of the team, uh, and then of course they lose him in the Wizards overtime win, uh, and he doesn't make a chance, he doesn't make a turn back, uh, doesn't get the chance to play. I think Joe, you're exactly right. If he plays in that play-in season. Well, first of all, if he plays over the last two weeks of the season from that Wizards game, they may have propelled themselves into a spot to play Los Angeles or play Golden State. So who knows what could have been the outcome there, but he definitely would have been a difference maker. Uh, I, I would also chalk that up as a bit, as a big disappointment in my season. Um, I just want to guys, as, ask you guys, too, as we look forward to next season, Tom, who are you watching to make the next step? Who, who are your eyes most focused on this offseason? Um, I, I think uh, I think that Joe was right that Lonnie is going to be poised for a big summer here, and uh, whatever happens next year, he should have a more defined role, right? Hopefully, there won't be these injuries with Derek White, and he'll either be uh, I, I mean, Pop wants to put him in as as the sixth man essentially, um, and I want to see. Lonnie Walker make that jump because we've, we've seen his ability, right? Uh, Think about what this team lacked in terms of three point shooting and think about who outside of Derek white has shown us the most in terms of three point shooting, especially off the dribble. It's Lonnie Uh, who's shown us that potential to take over games and be that guy who is taking the big shots and locking up the other team's best player. uh, And, you know, Maybe not that. Far. I'm thinking of the the Rockets game when he just had the best game that 
well, one of the best performances I have seen on a basketball court. Uh, that was that was so much fun, and he was doing it on both ends, right? Uh, the thing that we missed from Lonnie this year was consistency, right? Like, and and the consistency of being locked in. Um, I'd like to think that in that designated six man role, with or without Demar Derozan in the picture next year, he'll have more of a license to take shots and make shots. Because um, when when we saw him running pick and rolls, driving the offense, he's an underrated passer. He's a really crafty scorer who's figuring out how to use change of speed, change of direction to beat guys. The other guy who I saw do that the most this year was Keldon. Um, beginning of the year, horse with blinders. I mean, he is going full speed ahead um, and, you know, either running through you and getting a call that goes his way or getting a call that goes the other way or a, a ball that goes flying and no whistle. Um, as the season went on, we saw him really understand the game and, the, and how to use his body, right? Because, um, like, the change of speed and direction stuff is important. But with him, it's changing speed and direction so that he can get his big body in position to bully people. And, I mean, in the Bucks game, he was running pick and roll right at Giannis and Brooke Lopez. Fearless. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he's still got a ways to go in terms of knowing where to be defensively, uh, you know, developing more of a mid-range game, finding his teammates on those drives when he's going 100 miles an hour at a, a rim protector. Um, so, so there's still a lot of room for him to grow, but he's also, he, he also had a really productive season this year. Um, yeah. So I, I think that those two guys uh, have, have a ton of potential to grow. And I mean, two of the younger players on this team. So. Yeah, Joe, I know you're all in on Lonnie Walker, you know, as the guy who's going to improve the season. So I'm guessing he's going to be your pick here as well. But what do you think Keldon should work on this offseason? What kind of player do you think he will be for the Spurs next season? You know, Keldon is one of those guys that uh, uh, he does. And I think Tom mentioned he goes 100 miles an hour. I think maybe uh, you, you slow down a little bit. You know, you take the game as it as it comes and learn and play the game a little bit smarter. He's got all the tools, obviously. But remember, this guy's a baby. I mean, he's just a baby still, uh, as a lot of the Spurs are. So I think I think you've, he, his most improvement to me has got to come between the years and really learn how to play the game and play smart. And I think if he does that combined with his athletic ability and what he can already do, I think that's going to help him improve. But I'll mention another guy who we've already talked a lot about that I think is going to get better, and that's DeJounte Murray. I think this guy will get better, and I predict he's going to be one of the – he's going to be a star in this league before it's all said and done. And I mean, uh, you know, a big star. So I think he gets better as well, and obviously that only helps the Spurs. And then you got to throw Derek White in there. I mean, the guy, he can get better. So, I mean, the sky's the limit for these guys if, um, if their roles are defined. And I think that's a key thing. And I think that was a big, a big stumbling block for Lonnie this year. Uh, you know, his role was really never defined until the end of the season. And I think if it is defined, if Pop goes ahead and, and makes him that sixth man, uh, that's going to help his game as well. So um, all of those things combined. But I, I really like DeJounte and, and obviously Lonnie to make the biggest strides this year. Yeah. Thinking about De- DeJounte, like he's, he's one of those guys who, when he came in, he saw Kawhi improving every year. Right. And he was like, I want to do that. I want to, I want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has steadily improved every year. And then you think about what's, what's the last thing for him to improve at, you know, and it's, it's that three point shooting It's getting that to be good or even great. Uh, first, I mean, there, there were times this season where he confidently shot catch and shoot three-point shots with a defender near him, and, and they were good. Um, that's something that he improved at a little bit throughout the season. Um, but if, if he can get to even, you know, 35 37% on that shot, just to, just to space the floor for the other guys, um, that makes this team really dangerous. And he's he's really great at almost everything else in this game like 
Like outside of three-point shooting, you would be hard-pressed to find something that DeJounte Murray is not great at. Um, and I mean great. Like like he's a, an excellent rebounder. He's an excellent facilitator. Um, he's he's one of the best defenders in the West. Um, like, And then you, you put him next to Derek White, and they'll, they'll be really special. Um, but yeah, that, that's why I'm so excited is because so much of the other part of his game is f- fleshed out. And now it's just that one thing that's, you know, not, not really a glaring weakness, but it's, it's the last weakness there. Yeah. Um, so given a whole summer to work on just that, I think it'll be awesome. I, I hate comparing players, but the parallels are, are really stunning between he and Tony Parker. Now, obviously, Parker was not even close to the defensive player that DeJounte is, but the last thing Parker did was develop that three-point shot. And when he did, you know, he becomes a finals MVP. Um, so, you know, I, I think Tom's hit the nail on the head. If DeJounte Murray can develop a consistent three-point shot, I mean, we're talking about this guy as, you know, a five, six, seven-time All-Star before his career is over. And uh, I think maybe another banner in the AT&T Center. I think he's, he's, he's just that kind of player that can lead this team to where they need to be. Yeah, the, the sky's the limit for DeJounte Murray. You know, just adding that one extra step is, is going to be just do multitudes for his game, like you guys are saying. That's one of the fun things about having a young team, right, is all these guys have room for improvement, and they've all shown the drive to want to improve, too. Uh, I'm, I'm keeping my eyes on Calden Johnson because, Joe, like you said, he's a baby. You know, this was effectively his rookie season, right? His first mm-hmm. season, he joined the team one game before the bubble, and then he was in the bubble. Mm-hmm. He started one game for them that that inaugural season for him, but you know it really blossomed in, in his first forty games with the team. Um, a little bit of a drop up after the All Star break. I think Tom, what you're saying, you know, he kind of figured some things out, slowed some things down, but also felt like the team kind of moved away from him a little bit, not in, in uh, situations, you know, leaning more on veterans like Rudy Gay or, or Patty Mills to, to come in and take that, take that, take the reins from him in a little bit, uh, and and just a little mental improvement from him, I think, will be good. Uh, and just also getting that role back because we'll, we'll talk about it here in five seconds, but you know, Rudy Gay and Patty Mills may not be back here this season. And on that note, what do you guys think the Spurs should do this offseason? This is a million dollar question. We're probably going to do four more podcast episodes based specifically on this question, but it, in, in your elevator pitch, what, what's the answer moving forward for the Spurs team? Joe, we'll start with you. Well, I mean, I think we've talked about it a little bit already. They've, they've got to get a three-point shooter. Uh, they, they, they need that. And a, a wing. Uh, yeah, I mean, you need that guy. And, of course, I'm sitting here talking Kawhi Leonard, uh, which I, who I don't think the Spurs have an, an opportunity to get. But a guy like that uh, would be ideal for this team, uh, a guy that can play defense, that can shoot the outside shot. Um, so, um, to me, you got to look defense and you got to look three-point shooting. That's where the league's going right now. Uh, and you got to do that. Now, who's out there? You know, you could you could pick a handful of guys, maybe, but um, they absolutely have to look there. You know, everybody's talking big man, right? Big man, big man, and I, and and perhaps that is a need, and certainly it is because um, you know you really have nobody uh, to back up Jakob because Gorgay's probably not going to be here next year, and, and then Drew Eubanks, you know, who knows? But I, he's not the answer. I think we've discussed that uh, a lot this year, so. Um, but my biggest thing is you, you got to find a guy that can that can shoot the three and and shoot it consistently. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned Kawhi Leonard, Joe, because uh, after the Clippers lost last night, um, there was a, a tweet going around about how if the Clippers are swept, Kawhi will walk from LA, and then Jabari Young swooped in and said, "Don't count the Spurs out." as a landing spot, you know, that could be quietly waiting in the wings. Um, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't see them reaching back out to Kawhi Leonard. Tom, what's the next step? Is it Kawhi? Is it something else? What are they doing this off season? I don't, I don't see Kawhi coming back here. Uh, I think the best and funniest outcome would be if for the rest of his time in Los Angeles, the Clippers continued to clip and give us all just the best schadenfreude ever. Um, like it's very fun to watch the Clippers lose this way and then pretend after going down 2-0, oh yeah, we're not that concerned. Uh, which sounds <laughs> a lot like what they said last year before they got bounced out of the playoffs <laughs> unceremoniously. Um, 
so yeah, that would, that would be funny. I, I think uh, three and D wing is definitely a need. Um, and I, I've been watching John Collins play all year. I don't think he's going to be back in Atlanta. Um, I, I think he's the guy to throw the bag at. Um, and part of that is because position of need, young guy, uh, and spaces the floor, defends multiple positions, doesn't need the ball in his hands, um, you know, is, is a complimentary scorer and, and player. Um, so, like, I, I know a lot of Spurs fans have trepidation. Like, are you sure you want to give a guy like that, like, the max money? I mean, it's it's not about him being the best. It's about him being the best person to spend the money on right now. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody else who, who would match that. I mean, Laurie Markkinen, size, shooting, sure. I'm not quite sold on him. Um, do you want to bring DeMar back for a, a lot of money after, you know, the way things went this year? I mean, he, he drove success for this team right? There's, there's no doubting that this team went as far as DeMar DeRozan could take them. Um, but when it gets to the playoffs, when the whistles slow down and when teams can key in on one guy, I don't, I don't know that DeMar DeRozan can be that guy. Uh, I think the Spurs team looked really dangerous this year in situations like in that Suns game where they were without him, Jakob Pertl, and Patty. Uh, you had DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Lonnie Walker, and Keldon Johnson on the floor making plays. And the Phoenix announcers said, like, it's almost harder going against this team without their best player because you don't know where it's coming from. Um, and uh, especially after... Uh, that playoff atmosphere game, you don't want to make a decision off of one game, um, but you, you make the decision off of the trend, right? Um, so uh, I'm not, I, I, I don't think that DeMar DeRozan will be back in San Antonio unless both parties can't find a better option. And I think both parties probably will be able to find a better option. Um, but those are like roster moves, right? I think, the thing that'll help this team the most is not getting a shooter, but getting everybody to buy into the idea of shooting more, right? Like if every young player on this team spends the summer in the lab with Chip England and, you know, works on getting shots up, works on turning themselves into a legitimate threat, which let's not act like that can't happen. You know, like, sure. People are very quick to close the books on these young players. Kyle Anderson, this year shot and made more threes this season than he had in his entire career coming up to this point. Uh, it's, it's a skill that plenty of NBA veterans learn and improve their ability. Um, so I, I think that it's a totally reasonable goal for this team to just get better at three point shooting by working on it. Um, and it, it's something that a good number of these guys are going to have to do uh, for for this team to really open up what they can be. Um, I mean, we're so, all talking because we know the three-point shooting is a problem. The Spurs clearly know three-point shooting is a problem as well. <laughs> They're going to be one to focus on that. You know, They know the need to take more really? three-pointers. I think you need to rely on all those guys taking a step up next season. You know, And, and maybe by letting Rudy walk and letting Patty walk, you find ways to play Devin Vassell more. You know, he was the rookie who played the most since Kawhi Leonard. His playing time is only going to increase next year. Um, and he's a guy who can hit a three-pointer, and he's proven that what he did in college as a 3 and D player is going to work in the NBA. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you also end up playing Luka Shamanich more. And, you know, he's a guy who has shown some range, but has also shown he's great on the defensive side. Uh, so, so and, and watching the, and, and making room for these younger guys, I think the answers are play the young guys, shore up the big man depth. You know, once we saw once LaMarcus Aldridge left, it was a struggle. You know, Drew Eubanks played significant minutes, and for a chunk of the season, he was a great fill-in there. They never were able to get Gory Jang in the, in the rotation as, as much as they wanted to, I believe, until the very end of the season because he was banged up, and, and trying to get him in and, and learn a new system at the very end is always going to be tough. So play the young guys more, shore up the big man depth, 
and give Damar the bag. Everything to get Damar back here because he is still an amazing asset for this team, an amazing engine, a driver for what the Spurs do best on offense right now. And he's, I think he's just really bonded with these young guys. And I think he's important for these young guys to watch and, and to be around. He's a great presence for this team. Um, that, that's what I would think. I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Tom. I think DeMar is looking at the landscape. There are better locations for him. Up until about a week ago, I was dead set that he was going to be a New York Nick next season. I think he might be going to Miami. But we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Joe, did you throw DeMar the bag? You know, I would like to see DeMar back. I've said that, uh, and, I, and I agree with you. I think he, he likes his role here in San Antonio, but I think he's going to get offers that the Spurs aren't going to want to try and compete with. And I think they think that maybe they, you know, maybe the Spurs don't have to spin the bag. You know, maybe the Spurs can just go get some pieces, and maybe it, it doesn't require a huge, you know, whale coming in here that you grab um, I, and, and, you know, I'm just spitballing, but maybe you just, uh, throw in a piece here and a piece there because we've been sitting here talking about a bunch of talented guys that are already sitting here in San Antonio. Um, you know, that, that, you know, you go out and maybe find a Derek White on another team, you'd bring him in here and, and give him a lot of money. Well, the Spurs have done that. They've got him already. You've got Deshante Murray already. You've got Lonnie Walker already. So maybe, maybe you don't throw the bag at anybody. Maybe just go out and find some pieces that will fit here and, uh, and, and you go that route with what you've got already. Because, I mean, let's face it, if, if, if Patty's not here, here, if Rudy Gay's not here anymore, if DeMar DeRozan's not here anymore, guess what the Spurs have to do? you got to run those young guys out there and see what they've got and see if they can handle it. And so I think, I think maybe it's time to do that. I think one of the interesting conundrums with this team, right, I – like. I agree with you, Jackson, that it would it would definitely open up things for the young guys with Rudy and Patty elsewhere. Rudy and Patty also were, you know, two of the best three point shooters on this Spurs team. Uh, so if if you're going to lose those guys in a season where you know you need to improve in that area of the floor, um, you know, it's it's a it's a math problem, uh, and and not not like an equation, like it's an issue. Uh, it's it's one of those things where this team is going to need to really step up if they lose those two guys. And I think that's part of the reason why Pop stuck with them for so long, right? Like, like that was a, that was a big topic of discussion throughout the year, the rotations are there, are these guys getting too many minutes? Um, you know, in, in the play in game, Lonnie Walker gets pulled with, uh, half of the third quarter left and doesn't come back in. Um, but, I, I think that part of the reason that Pop managed his rotation that way for this season was he knew that when he got to that play-in game, he was going to ride his veterans because they would give him the best chance of winning the game. And and Rudy and Patty played well in that game. Um, but, but that was a, a decision that Pop made pretty early in the season was this is going to be my, my lineup. I'm sticking to it. And... Um, you know, the, there's there will be time to get these these youngins on board. Um, so so uh, like you said today, Jackson, uh, most minutes for a rookie, Devin Vassell since Kawhi Leonard, only rookie since Kawhi not to be sent to Austin, and you know circumstances around around that. But there was there was an Austin Spurs season; he did not participate in it. Um, and so, guys older than him who've been in the, the, the Spurs organization longer, like Lucas Samanich, did go to Austin. So, I mean, that tells you right. where, they, where they think Vassell is. Right. And, and the Spurs need Devin Vassell to be that 3 and D wing that he can be moving, moving forward. Like, he's, he's going to be a really important part. During the second half of this season, late last month, he was not shooting the ball well. Um, it was an outlier. I mean, like, he's, he's going to be a good shooter. Uh, he he proved that, um, and I I think that his shot, I mean the mechanics are pretty unblockable. Um, you know, it's there are not there are not many people that are getting to that shot. Um, but one of my favorite parts of the season was watching him learn. Right, like there was there was a game against Brooklyn. Uh, he goes to try to block a, a step back three by James Harden, fouls him on the shot. Pop pulls him over to the side, and you can read his lips, and he says, 
Are you going to block that shot? And then you can see Devin, like, well, actually, like, I kind of thought I could get there. And, you know, the, just him learning uh, has, has been a really fun thing to watch. Um, there, was, there was one game where Lou Williams foul baited him, right? Like, you know, pump fake, got him in the air, got him with his hands in the cookie jar, and then, you know, ripped through his free throws. A couple of possessions later, he tried the same move on him, and it was actually Devin Vassell baiting Lou Williams. He put his hand in the cookie jar and then whipped it out as, as soon as he saw, felt the shot coming. And so Lou Will thought he was going to get easy free throws, and then all of a sudden he's, he's brought this shot up in, in this unnatural shooting motion and not get, getting the contact, and he's like, <laughs> and it's a miss. Uh, he's a really smart kid. Um, and he's, he's going to be a great spur for the long time. I, I think one of my favorite quotes after that game was um, he said he, he had just talked to Keldon Johnson and told him, this is the last time we're going to miss the playoffs. Uh, and I think that whole group believed that, um, which is, is why the fight is so important, right? Because think about it. Would you rather be a Spurs fan right now or a Clippers fan? Right? Do the Clippers have Are there any Clippers fans? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, pre- pretend they exist. Like the <laughs> the Clippers build that they they did everything that Spurs fans who want the team to be better have said, right? Like they 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 drafted well. They they got their guys and then they they made the big move, right? They they shipped assets away. They got the guy that the guy that wanted to come wanted and, and put it all together and, you know, went all in on this era of Clippers basketball and where are they at? Yeah. Like, like there's, there's no guaranteed path to success in the NBA. There are some guaranteed pathways to failure though. And like the Clippers <laughs> seem to be building that with like the type of locker room that they have. Like who's, who's giving the Braveheart speech in that room? You know, I, I, it, I would think it'd be Serge Ibaka because I think he's the best leader yeah. in the locker room, but he's injured. He he hasn't really been out there on the guy and the court with the guys in the battle, you know? So he, he, he I don't know how much his voice is going to resonate in that locker room. But yeah, I, I get your point exactly. I mean, the Spurs are in a great place right now heading into this offseason. And that's why I think the, the biggest, everything that we said here, the biggest takeaway was these young guys are going to take a step and they need to take a step and they're driven to take that step. And that's a great place to be in. Now, I thought the biggest question going into the offseason would be DeMar DeRozan, right? And what's going to happen with him and what the Spurs do and if there's a better landing place for him. But what has dominated the, the Spurs airwaves, I think, for, for, for better or for worse, has been a conversation about Coach Pop's future. What Greg Popovich is going to do. Uh, is this a time for him to step away or does he come back this season? Uh and I think that's a crazy conversation to have because I don't see him stepping away in, in any regards this season. You know, he's 25 wins away from being the all-time winningest NBA coach in, in, in history, you know? And I, I, he'll be the first person to tell you he doesn't care about that. I'll be the first person to tell you, yeah, he does. He can say that all he wants, but he is someone who values greatness, whether or not he wants to admit that he values himself being great. Um, you know, he's the one who, who valued greatness for Tim Duncan and, and this franchise and pushing forward and led them to five championships. So, I mean, he, he can say he doesn't value it internally. I think he does. Tom, is there any world in which you see coach pop doesn't come back next season? I mean, I'll never say never, but I think that pop really likes working with this team. I think he, he loves being um, a mentor to these young guys and teaching them about things outside of basketball and learning from them. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's something that's been part of who he is, uh, you know, for over two decades. So something Tim Duncan said at his hall of fame induction, you know, like it's, it's about more than basketball. Um, and, uh, I, I know that a lot of people want to criticize pop and say, um, that, you know, it doesn't seem like he cares as much about the basketball stuff. And it, it you know, if it, maybe if you hand the reins to Becky, I, I had a, a conversation that I lost brain cells just watching where somebody argued that the best reason for Becky Hammond to be the next head coach is because she's a woman and that would excite people. No, 
she should be the next head coach because she's an immensely qualified head coach candidate. And that should excite uh, people. And that should excite people. Like, you know, yes. she she's really, really good at her job. Um, and I, I understand that, you know, there's this perception that people have that, you know, she's more on the young guy's side and she would do different things with the whatever. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen this year. Um, and I, I think it's a topic of discussion because people like to talk about things. Uh, but I, I really don't see any, any more to that than the uh, pop to Brooklyn rumors that we heard uh, that really just didn't, weren't anything like, like there's, there's nothing behind them. Uh, last time they asked pop about his coaching, you know, last year it was like, I'm, I'm 50, 50, 50. Like it's going to be here or, uh, these two cities in Italy. I don't know. Uh, and like, I, I think that's how he's treating this, this off season too. I think he, he's probably back. Um, so the, the fans who want him gone, uh, Sorry, it's it's probably not going to happen. Joe, do you think he's back too? Absolutely. There's no question he's back. I mean, he's enjoying what he's doing. I think Tom hit the nail on the head. I mean, I really believe that he is enjoying coaching these young guys. He's enjoying what he's doing. He's enjoying watching these guys grow. I mean, his his the post game press conference after the Memphis game. I mean, I've not I've been around a long time. I've seen a lot of post game. Uh, press conferences from Greg Popovich, I've never heard him as sentimental as he was in that post-game press conference. I, I haven't seen it. So you can't tell me he's going to go from that to i just going to walk away and, and let somebody else take over the reins of these guys. It's not going to happen. Um, and, you know, then there's a the big question, will there even be an Olympics this year? I know as of now they're saying, hey, we're going to move forward, but, you know, they got a big problem in Japan right now. So you know, who knows what's going to happen with that and how that might affect Pop's decision. But I think either way, Pop's back next year. And, and I see those comments, too, and it's like, just go away. Pop will be here <laughs> next year. In addition to how much he seems to enjoy working with this team, I know he hates the losing, too. And it just does not compute in my brain that Greg Popovich would walk away from this group of players after two, you know, disappointing finishes and frustrating seasons. Like, like he, the stone cutter, right? Uh, my, Jess, Jess's dad uh, just brought the 1999 copy, the, the Express News, after they won the title, right? And it's one of the, one of the breakout stories is about Pop's stone cutter quote. It's awesome. Uh, and to this day, right? A, a driving principle for this team. And I don't, I don't see him walking away now uh, precisely because the stone is refusing to, to break. Like if, if they made the playoffs this year and did okay, like I, I still don't think he would walk away, but like, you know, I don't think he would have that bad taste in his mouth either. Yeah. And that bad taste in the mouth is certainly motivating a lot of these players this summer. Uh, and I, I know that it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a, this season was a failure to correct, you know, and um, I, I don't see Greg Pavich walking away from that. I, I agree, but I will just add what you described, Tom, moments ago is, is a movie. And once we get done with this pod, I'm going to start writing the screenplay. You know, a, a, an old retired head coach going to Italy to coach an Italian team, you know, and we'll, we'll get Donald, we'll get a uh, Donald Sutherland to play the head coach. We'll get Steven, uh, Steven Soderbergh to direct it. You know, it, it's going to be an Academy Award contender it, down the road. It'll be, it'll be like Ted Lasso, but way grumpier. <laughs> <laughs> Will there be subtitles? That's what I want to know. I, I think there'd have subtitles? to be. Subtitles? Yeah. There have yeah. to be, right? Okay. Get some of the Italian players, you know, and, uh, I think half of it would be basketball and half of it would be wine. But, uh, but <laughs> before, before we get started on that screenplay, though, I just want to quickly get your thoughts on the playoffs that we've seen so far. I know we talked a little bit about the Cavs, another oh, Cavs, the Clips and the Mavs, uh, that series there. Uh, Joe, what's your biggest takeaway from this playoff so far? Well, I mean, obviously that's the story, I think. You know, right there, when you look at that, nobody expected the Clippers to be down 0-2. 
Uh, nobody expected the Mavericks to play as well as they have. I still like the Phoenix Suns. I know the Lakers, uh, you know, won game two, but um, I like that team. I like the way they're moving forward, and I think they, they'll – uh, end up winning that series and would not surprise me to see them winning the West, to be honest with you. Um, so I, I like the Suns from what I've seen so far in the West. I like them. And man, in the East, you, you got to like what Milwaukee's doing over there and how they're playing right now. So um, it's going to be interesting, guys. I, I, I enjoy the NBA playoffs. Yeah, me too. I, I think that one thing that's jumped out to me is how well the young guys across the league are playing. I mean, Luka Doncic, John ja Morant, Trey Young. Uh, like, the, the list goes on. Yeah, Aiton, Booker even. Um, you know, the, the league is full of young guys who are uh, not just here in the playoffs, but going toe-to-toe with the... Kawhi's and LeBron's of the world and coming out on top. Um, and, and that's a, that's a really cool thing to see. And that's, I think a really important lesson for Spurs fans, you know, it's, it's not instant oatmeal stone cutter. Like, like this takes time. Um, and how much time did it take for the sons of pure suck to get here? It, it took, it took them a minute. Um, and, and Chris Paul has helped and Monty Williams has helped. Uh, but it's also the internal growth of those players that they invested in. Um, yep. And I've also had a ton of fun just watching former Spurs ball out. Kyle Anderson. I mean, mm-hmm. the slow breaks, six steals in a game. Love him. Like, threw Rudy Gobert to the ground viciously. I don't know if you saw that, Joe. <laughs> Uh, that was that was a, a really f- it wasn't actually viciously uh, Rudy Gobert flopped after getting ejected from the game. I've never seen that before. <laughs> um, but yeah, Kyle Anderson has been so much fun to watch. Bryn Forbes in a perfect role with that yeah. Milwaukee team has been great. Um, you know, there there are guys that have come from San Antonio that are that are balling out a little bit here, and I love watching that. I hate seeing how other people watch it though because. It's like, oh, we should have never got rid of him or oh, San Antonio made him <laughs> or like, you know, there, there are just so many bad takes associated with former Spurs players playing good. My take is, ah, oh, this is a player that used to play for the team that I root for and he's a good player and I'm going to continue to root for him because he's a good guy. Um, you know, I, I just enjoy the basketball. I like I like seeing these dudes succeed for the most part, like 99% of former Spurs I'm a, I'm a root for. Uh, and the other one percent, <laughs> other one percent, I'm going to root against uh, vociferously. Uh, this is a take I've been marinating. Uh, Schadenfreude, great word. Germans love him for inventing that. Uh, William Shakespeare, kind of not great for not inventing an English version of that. Like he invented so many words, you couldn't make an English Schadenfreude. I don't know. William Shakespeare mids. That's that's my most controversial take for the day. Put that take back in the oven. Yeah, <laughs> it's got to marry a little longer. We we got to work on it. We got to work on English Schadenfreude. Tom, to your point, I opened up ESPN the other day, and the front page was a large picture of a large man, Boban Marjanovic, and the headline was something along the lines of "The Mavericks' Key to Success." You know, and what he's doing to the locker room and the, the chemistry he brings to the team there. And just another yeah. Spur excelling. And, of course, Buttonholzer. And it goes to the coach side, too. Buttonholzer, yeah. Monty yeah. Williams. Udoka is an assistant coach up in Philadelphia where Danny Quinn Snyder. and George Hill are playing. Quinn Snyder, exactly. Um, so. Taylor Jenkins, Memphis. He was an awesome head coach for a time. Like, yeah. the, the influence is great. Um, well, the, the Spurs are even getting credit on national broadcasts for things that they didn't do. Like Kyle Anderson fouled up three uh, in one of the games. I think it was in the, in the Warriors game. Uh, and someone was like, ah, he learned that in San Antonio. No, he didn't. Pop doesn't do that. Like that, like Pop very specifically doesn't do that. So, so like that's like, it's not just Spurs fans that think the Spurs make great players. And I, I think that that's, you know, a broader concept for another time. Does that detract from being here? The idea that like anything you accomplish will be attributed to ah, the Spurs made another great one. Um, 
you know, I, I think that's let's, let's go with something that, though. I like that. We'll, we'll just go with it. Yeah, well, we'll take credit, you know, for it. That's fine. Why not? I mean, to me, looking at the Western Conference picture, you're looking like, I mean, there are serious chances that Phoenix, that Dallas, that Portland or Denver, you know, either one of those a toss-up, and then Memphis, you know, could be moving on to the next round and what that means to not have either LA team going forward. You know, Golden State's already gone. You know, um, the number one seed all season is Utah, and there's a chance they could miss, you know, the next round there. So, I mean, it's just every year I think the theme is it's a wild west. You know, anyone can come out of here. Um, you know, certainly if your name is LeBron James, you tend to have a better chance of getting out of there. Uh, for a while there, it was Golden State. But, you know, anything can happen, and that's what makes the playoffs so exciting. I think, I think every team here, um, save the Clippers maybe, has a chance to, to go on to the finals. So And uh, and that's that's another important lesson for Spurs fans, right? Like, it may seem like the deck is stacked against you. It may seem that unless you're one of those top three preseason teams, there's no way. Yeah, There are ways all the time. And, and we're seeing uh, these – teams that are from smaller markets and less heralded and they're finding their own way. Uh, so there's for sure hope for the Spurs to do the same. To quote a newly Absolutely. minted hall of famer, anything is possible. <laughs> That's <laughs> Tom Petrini. You can find him on Twitter at real Tom Petrini, Joe Ryan Agle, Ken's five sports director. You can find him behind the Ken's five sports desk every night, every weekday night. And of course on Twitter at Joe Ken's five, uh, be sure to follow the podcast at Big Fun. Big Fun Podcast is San Antonio uh, is Kins Five's San Antonio Spurs podcast, and of course, Kins Five is the official TV station of the San Antonio Spurs. I'm Jackson Floyd. You can find me at Jackson Kins Five. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Big Fun Mo Podcast, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>